Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. I'm James Harding. I'm the editor of Tortoise and the host of The News Meeting. It's the podcast where we try and make sense of what should be leading the news with three people who each come and pitch the story that they think matters the most. On the latest episode, we're joined by the journalist, historian and author Satnam Sangera. Like almost everyone, we go down the rabbit hole of that Princess of Wales photo editing story, and then Satnam explains why he thinks the Church of England paying reparations for its links to slavery should really be leading the news. Just search for Tortoise News wherever you get your podcasts and follow the feed so you don't miss an episode. Tortoise. Hello, I'm Claudia, and this is the Slow Newscast from Tortoise. In this episode, a story which seems to have fallen under the radar. A former cabinet minister calling for the police investigation into phone hacking at Rupert Murdoch's media conglomerate to be reopened. And not just because Rupert Murdoch's tabloids reported on his private life, which they did, but for something that the former cabinet minister claims is much worse. To go further and use illegal information gathering techniques, not just for journalistic purposes, but to increase your political influence in order to further the interests of your corporation. At the end of last year, the phone hacking story took on a whole new dimension. And indeed get rid of ministers who were getting in your way as far as your objectives because that's different, that's new. In previous episodes of the Slow Newscast, we've reported on the damning allegations in Prince Harry's legal claim against the tabloids and on the secret settlement his brother, William, the heir to the British throne, reached with Rupert Murdoch's media group. But this story, we believe, is an even more serious one. Phone hacking and private investigators apparently being used to advance one media owner's corporate and political interests. The collateral damage, it seems, was Britain's democracy. For this week's Slow Newscast, I'm handing over to my colleague, Paul Caruana Galizia. Phone hacking and Britain's tabloids. Prince Harry is set for a court showdown here with the publisher of The Sun newspaper. The words bring to mind Prince Harry's ongoing court battle against the publisher of The Sun and News of the World. More now on the landmark ruling in the High Court this morning that the Duke of Sussex has been awarded £140,000. Or his recent £140,000 victory against another tabloid group. And if your memory goes back far enough you'll remember the tabloid splashes of celebrities' private lives. They very nearly ruined my life. I have certainly seen how they have ruined the lives of others. Their behaviour shattered me, damaged my reputation at times beyond repair, and caused me to accuse my family and friends of selling information that catapulted me into a state of intense paranoia and fear. 
or the more shocking examples of tabloid journalists setting private investigators on ordinary people, intercepting their voicemails for stories. I rang her phone and it clicked through onto her voicemail. So I heard her voice and I was, it, it was just like a jump. She's, she's picked up her voicemails, Bob, she's alive. And I was just, it, it was then really. Um, when we were told about the hacking, that is the first thing I thought. But what if I told you there was more to the phone hacking story? That there's a whole new dimension to it. One that's recently come to light and is a lot more worrying. To tell this story, I need to begin in an unlikely place. In a narrow two-storey Victorian house at the end of a terrace in Twickenham in West London. The only colour on its whitewashed front is an orange sign, the colour of the Liberal Democrats. It reads, Constituency Office of Vincent Cable, MP. On this particular Friday, in December 2010, Vince Cable is inside, meeting constituents as part of his weekly surgery. But this is when the Lib Dems are in government, in a coalition with the Conservative Party, And so Vince Cable isn't just an MP, he's a cabinet minister. He's the Secretary of State for Business. And as such, Vince Cable holds the power to obstruct the biggest corporate deal of the day. Rupert Murdoch's bid launched five months earlier to buy up all of B-Sky B, a satellite TV broadcaster that reaches 10 million homes and is extremely profitable. As Rupert Murdoch's company, News Corp, owns the conservative-leaning tabloids The Sun and News of the World, as well as The Times and The Sunday Times, and as it already owns 39% of B-Sky B, a successful bid would give him a high degree of control over Britain's media. So, the bid is very much on Vince Cable's mind and, apparently, on the minds of two of his constituents. Or, rather, two young women claiming to be his constituents who come on this December day to his Twickenham office. Don't quote me outside, Vince Cable tells them. But the women are wearing wires. It's not that easy to make out. But Vince Cable says, I don't know if you followed what's happening with the Murdoch press. You can hear one of the women laugh. And then... (laughs) I've declared war on Mr. Murdoch. Vince Cable has already passed News Corp's bid to Ofcom. This is his war on Murdoch. About 10 days after the two women leave Vince Cable's constituency office, the Daily Telegraph publishes a transcript of their recordings. The article shows Vince Cable being critical of the coalition government. But there's no mention of Rupert Murdoch. Later the same day, the BBC publishes an exclusive. They've got hold of the audio of Vince Cable declaring war on Rupert Murdoch and they've run with it. 
The fallout is rapid. By the evening, David Cameron's Downing Street issues a statement on Vince Cable. The Prime Minister has decided that Vince Cable will play no further part in the decision over News Corp's proposed takeover of B Sky B. He keeps his job, but he's off the B Sky B bed. Tonight, Business Secretary Vince Cable finds himself stripped of responsibility for anything to do with News Corporation's attempt to buy up B Sky B. Vince Cable is replaced in his oversight of the bid by Jeremy Hunt, the Secretary of State for Culture and, crucially, a Conservative MP. The move causes shares in B-Sky B to jump by 2% because Jeremy Hunt, unlike Vince Cable, is prepared to wave Newscorp's bid through. The fallout from the sting appears to have gone well for Rupert Murdoch and his plan to buy all of B-Sky B. At first glance, the reporting of Vince Cable's comments don't seem to have anything to do with News Corp. The story first appears as an exclusive in the Daily Telegraph, and then on the BBC, neither of which have anything to do with Rupert Murdoch. But legal documents submitted to the High Court now appear to suggest a link between News Corp and the Sting. The documents detail a cluster of suspicious calls made from the main News Corp number to Vince Cable on the day the undercover reporters are sent to Twickenham. The calls have all the hallmarks of phone hacking. So was this thing on Vince Cable thought up to get him out of the way? And if it was designed to replace Vince Cable with a more amenable cabinet minister, then what we have here is probably the worst case of misconduct by the British press. One that's much more serious than revealing the details of a celebrity's love life or their drug use. On the face of it, this is quite a case. A wiretap, phone hacking, and not in pursuit of a story, but a deal. Not just to get information on a cabinet minister, but, it appears, to get him out of the way. A moment when the press was hacking not celebrities, but cabinet ministers. Not for the news, but for the business. It's in 2005 when allegations first come to light that tabloids are hacking into people's voicemail messages and using private investigators to find stories. A story appears in the diary column of the News of the World's royal editor, Clive Goodman, about a knee injury and the subsequent medical appointment. Something only Prince William, his father and the private secretary knew about. Then, a week later, another story emerges about how William had been lent broadcasting equipment to edit footage from his gap year. The journalist Tom Bradby, who's a friend of William's and had lent the equipment, notices that messages he'd left on William's phone have ended up being quoted in the news of the world. He tells the palace, who call in the Metropolitan Police. In 2007, Clive Goodman and his private investigator Glenn Mulcair are convicted of illegally intercepting phone messages and imprisoned. 
But at this stage, and for several years afterwards, Newsgroup, publisher of News of the World, argues that the scandal is limited to one rogue reporter. We now know that the practice of phone hacking has been going on for years, and it continues for many more. To date, Newsgroup and the publishers of other tabloids have paid out more than a billion pounds in legal settlements to their phone hacking victims. Evidence of hacking activity often comes in the form of what's known as double-tap calls. These appear in the phone records as a short call, maybe just a few seconds long, followed by another slightly longer one. The first is made so the phone is engaged when the second call comes in. That second call is then diverted to voicemail, which the caller then hacks into. In the case of newsgroup journalists, these calls were often made from the organization's switchboard at its swapping headquarters in East London, rather than the journalist's own phone, to add anonymity. Now, in most of the phone hacking legal claims I've read, these suspicious calls, double tap and from the whopping hub, precede articles published in the tabloids. But there's something different about this story. The suspicious calls in the legal claims against Newsgroup, which was then called News International, that I'm now reading, don't only precede articles about hacking targets. They coincide with key moments in Rupert Murdoch's efforts to take over B Sky B. Within these documents is the suggestion that the Vince Cable sting was part of a concerted effort to remove elected officials from standing in the way of a corporate deal. That's new. And that's something which is, I think, much more akin to a sort of Russian-style attempt to find compromising material to, to get rid of people or to intimidate them into doing what you want. The documents were filed by the former Lib Dem MP Chris Hewn against Newsgroup, which has recently settled a claim for a six-figure sum. I was the Secretary of State for Energy and Climate Change in the British coalition government um, from 2010 to 2015. I was the Secretary of State from 2010 to 2012. And before I was in politics, I was a journalist for 19 years. It's likely you'll also remember Chris Hume for other things too, like leaving his wife for an aide or ending up in jail over an arrangement in which his ex-wife took speeding points for him. And I'm not adding those details to be salacious. Those details were, Chris Hume claims, used to get him out of the way, at the right time. Calls from the whopping switchboard to Chris Hume begin back in 2009, when we also know from emails Newsgroup has had to disclose to Chris Hume that he was clearly a target. In May that year, a News of the World journalist writes, By the way, we're still heavily engaged on the Lib Dem chap, seven days a week, on his tail the whole time. If there's something there, I'm confident we'll get it, and I think there will be. The journalists do find something, that Chris Hume is having an affair with his aide, but they don't run the story, because Chris Hume isn't important enough. Then, two things happen. So I say, reopen the police inquiry, and I go on saying that. I write an article in The Guardian saying that the police inquiry should be reopened. 
Chris Yoon's piece had followed a report, also in The Guardian, that said phone hacking by newsgroup journalists was much more widespread than the Clive Goodman and Glenn Mulcair case of two years previously. And then, the second thing happens. In May 2010, a coalition government is formed between the Conservatives, with David Cameron as Prime Minister, and the Lib Dems, with Nick Clegg as Deputy Prime Minister. Suddenly, Chris Hune is no longer a shadow Home Secretary for the second party in opposition. He's in the Cabinet. And he's calling for the police inquiry to be reopened. They then go into overdrive. And we can see this in the call data and in the flurry of payments to private investigators who returned to tailing Chris Hune. This time, the story isn't spiked. Very shortly after I'm appointed to the cabinet, they have uh, discovered that I'm having an affair with uh, my partner Karina, and uh, that splashed all over the front of the news of the world. And they're basically saying as they you know, do, you know, watch out, because if you do things that are annoying for us, we can do things that are pretty annoying for you. One thing news might say, Chris, is what happened is this politician, by becoming a cabinet minister, became a more legitimate public interest target, and that's why, that's why we did it. I absolutely agree that cabinet ministers are totally fair game. But this has absolutely nothing to do with that. First of all, it starts before I become a cabinet minister, very, very clearly. Secondly, it is nothing to do with journalists. It is being directed by news corporation managers. That last thing Chris Hune says, that the news of the world's focus on him is being directed by newsgroup managers rather than editorial staff, is new. It implies that newsgroup's newsroom was being used to further corporate interests. Ultimately, Rupert Murdoch's political and business interests. It's not a journalist coming and saying, I've got a potentially good lead on Chris Hune. It is a manager, Fred Michel, a director of News Corporation of the holding company in the United States, who is telling the journalists on the tabloids it's time to target Chris Hune because he's getting really annoying. So this is, this is not about holding my power to account. It's about abusing their power. This allegation that the order to focus on Chris Hune was a corporate one isn't fully in his publicly available court filings. And we can't see what's in the material that news group provided to him through disclosure as those have all been sealed by the judge who presided over his case. Chris Hume can't talk about those sealed filings, but there is a suggestion of it in Chris Hume's publicly available claim against Newsgroup. It concerns the name Chris Hume mentions, Fred Michel. He was Rupert Murdoch's chief lobbyist at the time and is now Emmanuel Macron's head of communication. I'll come back to Fred Michel in a moment but it's worth taking a moment to consider what we are talking about here. About British newspapers conducting illegal surveillance on British ministers. Chris Hune was, at the time, on the National Security Council. He was briefed by British spies not to take his phone to China, but not, apparently, on how to handle things in his own country. 
I was obviously privy to a lot of extremely sensitive information. I was on the National Security Council. I was also on the committee that was dealing with the conflict in Libya. So, you know, British forces were actually in action during uh, much of this time. I was also on the Economic Committee, which is probably what they were mainly interested in, because they wanted to buy the remainder of Sky that they didn't own, uh, and they were worried that the government would refer this to the competition authorities. Chris Hewn is referring to the B-Sky B bid. B-Sky B had been formed by a merger of British Satellite Broadcasting and Sky, and in 2010, Rupert Murdoch owned 39.1% of the company. Now, he wanted to buy the rest of it. In a plan that worried the Lib Dem members of government, who felt it would give Rupert Murdoch too much control over Britain's media. And this is where Fred Michel comes in, the man Chris Hume mentioned, Rupert Murdoch's chief lobbyist. It's part of his job to get the B Sky B deal over the line. So in June 2010, Fred Michel goes to see Norman Lamb, a senior Lib Dem MP who was Deputy Prime Minister Nick Clegg's private secretary. We can see from the legal documents that on and around the day of the meeting, there are six short anonymous calls from the whopping hub to Norman Lamb's phone. Calls that are indicative of someone trying to intercept his voicemails. And there are six other suspicious calls like these to Vince Cable, the business secretary, who's going to decide whether to issue an intervention notice and start investigating the competition implications of Rupert Murdoch's B-Sky-B bid. The timing of these suspicious calls suggests that someone was trying to get inside information on the government's view of the B-Sky-B plans. Advanced knowledge before the meeting, perhaps, and information on what was discussed afterwards. Fred Michel must have felt satisfied because news puts in its official bid for B-Sky-B just a few days later. A few days after that, on the 19th of June 2010, the News of the World publishes that splash on Chris Hewn's affair with his aide. He leaves his wife. Over the summer, the plan to buy the remaining shares in B-Sky-B seems to be progressing unimpeded when, in September 2010, it hits a bump. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello, I'm Giles Wittell, Tortoise's deputy editor. On the News Meeting podcast, we try to make sense of what should be leading the news with three guests who each pitched the story they think matters most. And once a month, we record a live episode in our newsroom. The next one is on the 27th of March, and I'm going to be joined by the brilliant author and podcaster Elizabeth Day. To come to the event and tell us what you think should lead the news, go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash book. That is tortoisemedia.com forward slash book. The New York Times publishes a big story about the extent of phone hacking 
and the use of private investigators and newsgroup titans. Although newspapers like The Guardian have been all over phone hacking for years by this point, it's hard to overstate the impact this article has in the UK as well as the US. It's big enough to trigger a revealing email exchange between Rupert Murdoch's chief executive in the UK, Rebecca Brooks, and Fred Michel. She asks him, what can we do? Fred Michel replies, The key will be for prominent Lib Dems like Clegg and Hune to stay silent on it. And I think they will. Matthew and I... That's Matthew Anderson, head of PR for Rupert Murdoch. I'm meeting with Colin Myler, the News of the World editor, to talk about it this afternoon. That meeting, we know from court filings, coincides with another burst of short calls from the whopping hub to Chris Hune. On their own, the existence of the calls can't tell us much, but set them against the timeline of events, and they take on new meaning. The calls, suspiciously short, from the whopping hub, and that never actually got through, coincide with key moments in Rupert Murdoch's lobbying campaign to acquire B Sky B. So we see it again, around the time of a second meeting, when there are five more suspicious calls, again indicative of voicemail interception, made to Norman Lamb's mobile. And we move forward then to the second meeting, the 27th of October. Yeah. At that stage, of course, the bid had been announced, Doctor. It's a meeting which becomes the focus of Norman Lamb's evidence to the Leveson inquiry into the standards and ethics of the British press, triggered by the phone hacking scandal. Now, we, we know that you have very recently found a note which was taken of that meeting. Yep. At the time, Norman Lamb was in the habit of making handwritten notes at the end of each day. Uh, Fred uh, Michel, News International, an extraordinary encounter. Uh, FM is very charming. At the Leveson inquiry, Norman Lamb is asked to read out the note. Uh, he tells me, News Int, uh, papers will land on VC's uh, desk in next two weeks. Uh, they, are cer- um, they are certain there are no grounds uh, for referral. Uh, they realised uh, they realise uh, the political pressures. Uh, he wants things to run smoothly. They have been supportive of the coalition, but if it goes the wrong way, he is worried about the implications. Uh, it was brazen. VC refers case to Ofcom. Dash. They turn nasty. According to Norman Lamb's note, Fred Michel was threatening the Lib Dems with negative coverage by Newsgroup, should an adverse decision be made on their B-Sky-B bid. The VC in Norman Lamb's note is Vince Cable, who now becomes the focus of Newsgroup. Especially because, on the 4th of November 2010, Vince Cable does refer Rupert Murdoch's B-Sky-B bid to the media regulator Ofcom to review whether it poses an anti-competitive threat. And once again, the suspicious calls cluster around this date. Numerous whopping hub calls to Vince Cable and Norman Lamb's phones. There's yet more suspicious calls to Vince Cable's phone in early December, when we're back at Vince Cable's constituency office, in that two-storey whitewashed building in Twickenham, with the two women, undercover reporters for the Daily Telegraph. 
One of the enduring mysteries about this story is why a sting that so obviously benefited News Group was published by its rivals, the Daily Telegraph and then the BBC. There is one link between the three organisations, a man called Sir Will Lewis, now the publisher and CEO of the Washington Post. Will Lewis was made the Daily Telegraph's youngest ever editor in 2006 and went on to occupy senior managerial positions at the Telegraph Media Group until an acrimonious departure in mid-2010. In September of that year, Will Lewis was hired by News Group. As a senior executive at News Group, Will Lewis would manage the phone hacking claims made against the organisation and the police investigations into it. It's still unclear whether the Telegraph's Finn Scables thing was taught up under Will Lewis's editorship or in the brief intermediary period after, under different leadership. But it happened. And this is where things get really interesting. On the 21st of December 2010, the Telegraph publishes some of the comments captured by the undercover reporters. But it doesn't publish Vince Cable's declaration of war on Murdoch. The BBC does, with the journalist Robert Peston saying he was approached by a whistleblower who was concerned that the Telegraph wasn't telling the full story. The Telegraph, which said it was planning on publishing all of Vince Cable's comments in stages, is so upset about the leak that it hires one of the world's leading private investigator firms, Crowe, to look into it. The Crowe report finds extensive contact about the sting between Will Lewis, who'd moved from the Telegraph to News Group by this time, and the Telegraph Media Group, or TMG, IT employee called Jim Robinson. It also points out that Jim Robinson was hired to Rupert Murdoch's company by Will Lewis soon after the leak. The two celebrate the appointment over pints at a pub. Given their employment with News International, their antipathy towards the Telegraph and their knowledge of the story, we have a strong suspicion that Jim Robinson and Lewis were involved in orchestrating the leak of the information. The Kroll report concludes that... It's likely that the leak was as a result of unauthorised access to TMG's systems, most probably from within the organisation and by someone with admin rights to TMG's IT environment. The copying of the audio file by either of these methods constitutes theft. Conclusion, insofar as it was one, which the investigators reached was that there was a strong suspicion that you and someone else were involved in orchestrating the leaking of that information to Mr Peston. Will Lewis is asked about this when he appeared as a witness at the Leveson inquiry. The question I have for you is right. simply this. Um, is that strong suspicion correct or incorrect? Or rather, did you leak this information to Mr Peston? I can't assist you with that. Um, uh, as you know, um, core to any journalist, um, and I'm included, is the protection of journalistic sources, whether they're my sources or someone else's sources. And any way that I answer that question, um, um, helpful as I would like to be, uh, would endanger that principle. Will Lewis could have denied being the source. A denial, of course, could imply that someone else was the source. As Mr J explains... Can I, can I just press that a little bit further, Mr Lewis, that 
there, there are two possibilities here logically. Either it was was you who leaked the information to Mr. Peston, in which case there's no question of a source involved because you were the person who who leaked the information, or it wasn't you, in which case it's not your source source that's involved, but Mr. Peston and his relation with in relationship with another source. Despite Mr. J's efforts, Will Lewis doesn't say what his role, if any, was in this episode of apparent corporate espionage. He claims one of journalism's most important rules, source protection, as cover. Not quite sure why you're unwilling to tell us, yes or no, whether you provided this information to Mr. Peston. Another thing that the Crow Report notes is that B Sky B's share price goes from 721p at the start of December to 743p the day after the Vince Cable thing is published. Jeremy Hunt, the Secretary of State for Culture and the Conservative MP, replaces Vince Cable in overseeing the B Sky B bid. Fred Michel quickly creates a back channel to Jeremy Hunt's advisor to discuss the bid, a back channel that Jeremy Hunt knew about. At Leveson, the extent of this communication between Fred Michel and Jeremy Hunt's advisor is laid bare. Over eight months, there are hundreds of calls and emails between the pair, and over a thousand text messages. It becomes clear that Jeremy Hunt wants to wave Rupert Murdoch's bid through when, on the 3rd of March 2011, instead of referring the bid to the Competition Commission, Jeremy Hunt says he's ready to accept a series of undertakings from Rupert Murdoch. It appears that it's all nicely sealed up. But Murdoch's newspapers aren't done with the Lib Dems yet. At the time... Did you and your colleagues, Vince Cable and Norman Lamb, think of it as a, as a targeted campaign? So the piece about you and Karina came out during this period, then you had the Vince Cable's thing. And th- did you at the time think, hang on, this is a coordinated attempt to get us out of the way? No. I mean, it's always hard to remember exactly what you, you think going back. But mm. my assumption throughout this had been, look, Rupert Murdoch is another right-wing newspaper magnate. And my assumption had been, obviously, they're not friends to the Liberal Democrats. And I assumed that they would be naturally hostile and would try and dig out stuff that would embarrass progressive left-wing parties and progressive left-wing politicians. But I had really no conception that they would be involved in illegal activity of this sort of actually phone hacking government ministers who are on the National Security Council who are dealing with sensitive decisions. and But to go further and use illegal information gathering techniques, not just for journalistic purposes, but to increase your political influence through informing yourself about what particular ministers privately thought in order to further the interests of your corporation and indeed get rid of ministers who were getting in your way, that's pretty breathtaking. And so I think it is a, it, it's, a, it's a different order of magnitude. 
It's in March 2011 that Chris Hewn's ex-wife, Vicky Price, begins talking to a journalist on another Rupert Murdoch-owned paper, The Sunday Times, about him transferring speeding points onto her license. The eventual expose sees both Chris Hewn and Vicky Price receiving jail terms for perverting the course of justice. With that, Chris Hewn's political career is over. Rupert Murdoch is set to expand his empire after winning the all-clear to take over satellite broadcaster B-Sky-B. By June 2011, news has reached an agreement with Ofcom to go ahead with the B-Sky-B bid on the basis of Sky News becoming a separate company. The British government approved the bid after News Corporation agreed to spin off its Sky News channel. The deal- Jeremy Hunt is now ready to wave the deal through and he wants to do so by the 19th of July 2011, when the summer parliamentary recess begins. With Vince Cable, Chris Hewn and Ofcom out of the way, it now really appears as though the deal is sealed. Just two weeks before Jeremy Hunt's deadline, The Guardian publishes another phone hacking story. Sally and Bob Dow have been notified by the police that they were the News of the World or Glenmore Care on behalf of the News of the World was hacking into Millie Dowler's phone while she was a missing person. The Met Police have discovered the murdered schoolgirl Millie Dowler's voicemail had been accessed by News of the World journalists and by the newspaper's private investigator, Glenn Mulcair. It is distress heaped upon tragedy to learn that the News of the World have no humanity at such a terrible time. The fact that they were prepared to act in such a heinous way that could have jeopardised the police investigation and gave them false hope is despicable. Millie Dowler's parents saw her voicemails had been accessed and, for a while, thought that she was still alive. There is public outrage. After listening carefully, we've decided the best way to proceed is with one inquiry, but in two parts. I can tell the House that this inquiry will be led by one of the most senior judges in our country, Lord Justice Leveson. David Cameron announces the Leveson inquiry. I have the power to summon witnesses, including newspaper reporters, management, proprietors, policemen and politicians of all parties to give evidence under oath and in public. Ofcom releases a statement that it has a duty to be satisfied on an ongoing basis that the holder of a broadcasting licence is fit and proper. And then... Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation has abandoned its bid to take over British pay TV giant B-Sky-B. The move came just before British MPs debated a motion calling on Mr Murdoch to withdraw the bid. Rupert Murdoch withdraws his bid. It was absolutely clear that the bid would have gone ahead if it hadn't been for the public outrage in the wake of Millie Dowler. They were successful. They were successful at in the long campaign at getting rid of me. They were successful at getting Vince Cable off the decision because he was the business secretary who had to take the decision as to whether to refer it to the competition authorities. They were successful at getting him off uh, that case. So they were successful in terms of finding the compromise and using the compromise to get rid of their political obstacles. And they were also successful in using phone hacking for corporate espionage. A billion pound corporate takeover, one that would have given a single proprietor even greater control over the British media, 
one allegedly advanced by phone hacking, was in the end brought down by it. Chris Hume believes the evidence his court case against News has turned up, and the evidence Vince Cable and Norman Lamb's ongoing cases will turn up, justifies a reopening of the police investigation into phone hacking. It's time to look at the managers, not the journalists. It's the, the little people are the ones who've so far gone to jail on this. Uh, but the people who were directing operations are still there. They're in very powerful and important positions. They clearly have a case to answer in criminal terms. But this story isn't just about the corporate interests and behaviour of one organisation. In pursuing those interests, it was British democracy that suffered. It was collateral damage. Lib Dem ministers were shamed and pushed out. Norman Lamb and Vince Cable's cases against Newsgroup are scheduled to be heard in 2025, so they didn't want to be interviewed. But Vince Cable told me he's delighted that the truth is now emerging. He said, I am absolutely amazed at the lengths News Corp went to in order to influence the decision I had to make on the B-Sky B takeover. The whole episode was painful at the time, but I am glad that the decisions I made were eventually vindicated. And there's no reason to think that only the Lib Dems were targeted. And I think there was very clear phone hacking activity coming to other members of the government as well. Do you know, can you say who? Uh, I can't say who. There may well be other cases brought by other members of, of the government, but there were certainly conservative ministers who were phone hacked as well. Why wouldn't News have been monitoring Jeremy Hunt and even the Prime Minister? If it wanted to know where the government was on this bid, on its corporate interests, what's another minister? A spokesperson for Newsgroup newspapers told us the organisation made an unreserved apology for the news of the world's phone hacking. It strongly denies that there was any corporate motive or direction to obtain information unlawfully and says that stories about Chris Hume, who has a long-standing animus against it, were in the public interest. Will Lewis and Fred Michel did not respond to a request for comment. Most privacy claims against the tabloids are settled in secret, before even reaching the courts. The claims that do reach the courts, like Chris Hume's, are ultimately settled. Vince Cable and Norman Lambs will most likely be settled too, and settlements would likely seal most of the evidence disclosed in their cases. It's individuals who are targeted, in this case cabinet ministers, but the injured party is really the public, their government, their media, their laws. And it's the public that is still being kept in the dark. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Slow Newscast. If you liked it, then please do rate and review us. This episode was reported by me, Paul Caruana Galizia, and produced by Katie Gunning and Matt Russell. Sound design was by Tom Burchell. The editor was Kerry Thomas. Tortoise. 
Hello, I'm Giles Wittell, Tortoise's deputy editor. On the News Meeting podcast, we try to make sense of what should be leading the news with three guests who each pitched the story they think matters most. And once a month, we record a live episode in our newsroom. The next one is on the 27th of March, and I'm going to be joined by the brilliant author and podcaster Elizabeth Day. To come to the event and tell us what you think should lead the news, go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash book. That is tortoisemedia.com forward slash book.